Welcome to Think Queerly, a podcast about human-hearted leadership for queer-thinking people. Well, before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you what's some very exciting news for me. I've been working on something in the background for about the last two months. I've had the idea for this for probably more like six to nine months, but I didn't know how to bring it to fruition. And that's mainly support for the podcast. And when I say support for the podcast, that sounds kind of like begging. And I don't want it to sound like that. No, I do my very best to offer value and insight and helpful strategies, things that you could do differently to improve your life, whether that be from a uh, personal growth perspective or how you look at the world or how you understand living as a queer person and how to best express yourself self and how to show up in the world. My mission, my coaching philosophy is that when you freely love who you are, you can freely create the life that you want. And when I freely love who I am, I have to recognize that I'm doing my very best to produce premium content and premium content without charging for it. So I've created something called VIQ, Very Impactful Queer. It is a premium membership access. And I'm just going to speak very briefly about that because there will be a link in the show notes so that you can subscribe to my newsletter. And I've got a specific email that will go out right away that details why I'm doing this and why I've chosen this direction. Now, what I want to say right here is that this public feed, this free access to Think Queerly is not going away. Going forward, I'll probably be delivering two free episodes per month instead of one every week. And what I'm looking to do is to expand what I am offering in the premium podcast. I've started a brand new series. It's called Thinking Queerly, 52 Weeks of Queer Contemplations. That's going to be exclusive exclusive to the VIQ premium membership feed. But I'm also going to go more deeply into personal transformation and how we can grow as people and manage ourselves better to be that change we want to see in the world, to show up through our creative uniqueness and, and make an impactful difference, which is why I call it very impactful queer as opposed to very important, because very important queer is egotistical. Then it's about me, how much you recognize me or who I am, and I say who I am in general for everyone, very impactful means you have the intention to go out into the world and actually make a difference. So, for example, I have two episodes that come also with a training video and a downloadable PDF worksheet. This is the kind of detail and going above and beyond that I want to bring to my content that unless I find a way to receive some financial um, compensation for it, it becomes very difficult for me to deliver on a regular basis. And then finally, I guess the last thing I'll say before we get into today's episode is that the internet, Twitter, Facebook, 
and podcasts for quite some time have been designed around the free model that creators and on YouTube for the longest time were putting out great content and then they looked how they could monetize. Oh, we could bring in advertising and taking on an advertiser comes with a host of certain responsibilities and sometimes challenges about what the advertiser will then feel you can or cannot say or do. And I feel it kind of, you know, I really honor those people that are, are are doing well with their podcasts, for example, that have a number of different ads for a mattress company or for an underwear company or for a kind of lube or what have you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just my preference not to have to do it, which doesn't mean I won't. But I want to make sure that if I'm recommending anything, it's it's from the heart. It's because it's meaningful to me. So for me to say, hey... If you come on board and support the premium membership, and whether that be monthly or annually, if you support the podcast on an annual basis, that is less than, far less than 50% of what it would cost for a single coaching session with me if you were working with me privately and one-on-one. So enough of that. I invite you to... Go and subscribe to my newsletter with a link so that you can find out more information about why this is, to listen to uh, a private episode I've recorded that explains all the details, and to take advantage of a very special offer I have going on until almost the end of August. I'm offering membership at 50% off until the 23rd of August. Today's episode is a very personal narrative and reflection on something that happened on the day of the release of this episode, August the 1st, 43 years ago, in 1977. I was 11 years old. It's a significant moment in Toronto queer history, and it was certainly formative of my early queer identity albeit not in a positive way at the time. And looking back, this incident may have been the root cause of what made me intent on making a difference in the world, especially for other queer people and the many paths I took in university and in employment to what I'm doing today. And so this is called How the Murder of a 12-Year-Old Boy Shaped My Queerness, the story of Emmanuel Jacques and me. The body of 12-year-old Emmanuel Jacques was found wrapped in a green garbage bag on the roof behind a Young Street body rub parlor on August 1st, 1977. The young boy worked shining shoes at Young Dundas Square to make extra money for his family, Portuguese immigrants who had arrived in Canada three years earlier. Jacques had been missing for four days when, after an excruciating long weekend of frantic searching, police detectives found his lifeless body above the ramshackle three-story building. He had been lured inside, injected with needles, sexually assaulted, and drowned in a sink. End quote from the Torontoist detailing the history of what happened to Emmanuel Jacques. I was afraid. I read the headlines in the news. Homosexuals cannot reproduce, so they must recruit. 
I saw the news in black and white about Anita Bryant and her Save Our Children campaign in Dade, Florida. I wondered to myself, do homosexuals like little boys? I was 11 years old when Emmanuel Jacques was murdered. I was just a little boy. The news described the places on Young Street in Toronto, the seedy heart of downtown, where men could go and be naked. I wondered, could they be naked with other men? Are the addresses of those places listed? My dad and I were walking along Bloor Street near University Avenue. We were passing the time until going into the McLaughlin Planetarium. He'd sit with me as I listened to science lectures about the stars. I had no clue what they were saying, and neither did he, but I felt safe in the planetarium with the stars projected on the other side of the dome. Two or three men were walking towards us dressed in leather chaps, jeans, and a leather cap. Dark, heavy moustaches and hairy faces. The men were clearly gay. Were they like those killers? Where are they going? Do they like little boys? I thought to myself. Curious, I turned around to look. I was both afraid and self-conscious. My dad made a comment. I don't remember what he said. It was something that acknowledged that the men were gay. Was it hurtful? Was he mean? Did he make fun of them? I don't remember feeling hurt. Did he wonder about me back then? I never wanted a daddy. I wanted to be with other men, but not men loving boys loving men. Many years later, I met Gerald Hannon, the Pink Triangle Press board member, regular contributor and founding member of the Body Politic, one of the early gay liberation publications in Toronto and the world. He was also the infamous author of Men Loving Boys Loving Men, published later that same year as the murder of Jacques and the cause of a lot of controversy. It was easy to grow up hating myself and afraid, afraid I would turn out like Emmanuel or like one of his murderers. Unfounded fears developed in an 11-year-old's mind, a closet of shame and silence. The love that dare not speak its name. In 1977, I was 11 years old. It's been about 43 years of having to consciously justify that it's right being who I am. All those years of having to swallow hate, slurs, and outright homophobia exacerbated by the media and people like Anita Bryant. Faggot, pedophile, fudgepacker, sissy boy, better off dead. AIDS is God's cure. We don't bake cakes for gays. Silence equals death. I gravitated to speaking out loudly, helping launch the Ottawa chapter of Queer Nation to confront homophobia that we were seeing happening. But shouting wasn't the answer. Shifting gears, I began working on my master's thesis to investigate the possibility of a queer syntax in the language of select German authors who were out or suspected of being gay. 
Unable to prove my theses after a year living abroad in Germany, I withdrew from the master's program. Gay and lesbian people daring together to set love free. I started working at Pink Triangle Press in 1993, ecstatic to be part of a larger mission to fearlessly create a dialogue which celebrated being gay. Setting love free needed money, though. So I moved into the management of 966 Oral. 9666725, also known as Cruise Line, the all-male adult personals and chat line system I managed at Pink Triangle Press for close to 10 years. In 2004, I left the press. I took out my earrings, the medium-sized silver hoops in each ear, in 2007 when I started working at a fitness club with a dress code. I gave up a part of my identity by taking out those hoops. Even though I came out of the closet step by step at 18, I still keep parts of me hidden, selective about when to close the door, when to leave it ajar, or let it swing wide open, girl. The closet still exists because there are forces, also known as people, who won't let us blast the door off its fucking hinges. And then there's gay shame that follows you around like a bad smell. There are countries that threaten free speech demanding they see your phone and Facebook posts to enter their country. Faggot on grinder? Left-leaning? Openly speak your mind? Not a chance of crossing this border. It's one of the reasons I'm choosing not to enter the United States and haven't been there for many years. First I was afraid, I was petrified. When I read the headlines in the news, I realize that fear solves nothing. Neither does shouting. Discussion is a good start. Debate is how we grow and evolve with foreign ideas and concepts. Actions sometimes do speak louder than words. And silence... Silence when you keep silent against prejudice of any kind and crimes against humanity? That is when silence equals death. It's easy to feel hopeless when you're 11 years old. But I've witnessed the progress. The rights and freedoms won over the years. This is the result of never losing hope, taking continuous and conscious action, and never giving up. Never again should an 11-year-old human being have to read or watch the news and have a similar experience to what I did, believing that when they grow up, they will either be killed or become a killer. Well, as an epilogue to that article I wrote a couple of years ago and refreshed for this episode, I want to share that because we all have a story. We all have a narrative about who we are, how our past has created our present moment, perhaps the emotions, the feelings, the hurt we hold against past transgressions. But for me, in my self-work, in my self-awareness and self-examination, in the 
coaching I do with clients, understanding that the past is the past, not to forget it, ignore it, and deny it, but to recognize that what has happened to you, good or bad, right or wrong, has formed you, and and how we understand that, how we sometimes understand the darkness, is literally shining light on our gift. When I go back in time and imagine how silent I was, unable to even ask a question of my dad walking down the street that day, what are those men, daddy? I don't understand what gay means. I think I might be. What would my life have been like had I been able to ask those questions? And I don't ask that or propose that I feel regret for not having had that opportunity because that has helped me become the person I am today who wants to be someone who can make the change in the world so that an 11-year-old child can ask their parent, what does that mean? I think that's who I might be. And they would get an answer that comes from human-hearted compassion and understanding and acceptance, allowing that child to feel that they could be and become whoever they feel authentically that they are, and to foster that growth. And then as the parent to learn what they would need to learn to open up the possibilities for that child to become the greatest expression of who they can be. And when we can allow that potential in ourselves, and at 54 years old now, I've worked with my demons. My demons are my own. They're not worse or better (laughs) or more challenged than anyone else's. They're mine. But how I frame them now, not to rewrite the past with a pink pen and say, oh, it was oh so lovely, but just to just observe it, to realize what has happened, and recognize the gift of those experiences in helping me be in this moment right now, and to understand that moments like that, to bring this full circle to the beginning of the podcast, are what led me to realize that when you freely love all that you are you can freely create the life that you want thanks for listening